You're listening to Soul School with Laura Coe and Kevin Kaiser. On this show, we dive into life's biggest questions. Who are we? What are we here to do? And how can we fearlessly live as our truest, deepest selves? Soul School is the spiritual education you never received. So if you're ready, join us as we explore together. Soul School is in session. Hello, and welcome back to Soul School. I'm here with Kevin for another wonderful conversation. Today, we are covering the elusive and sexy world of psychedelics. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Hey, Laura, and hello, Soul Fam, everybody out there. Um, I'm excited about this conversation. I am too. Um, It is just such a fascinating topic. It's like hidden in the open, whatever that phrase is, hidden in plain sight. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like everywhere I go, people are whispering, talking about it, doing it. Um, Yet it feels a little elusive and secretive still because it's not fully approved. But I know this is something you've been doing and working on, and we talk about it offline a lot. So Kevin, like, just kick the show off with a little background for people who are perhaps interested, but new, you know, what's the history of the psychedelic movement in the States? Why did Mm -hmm. this get thrown back? I think like 50 years, right? Like, I mean, all jokes aside, this was really a wonderful thing that got buried. Um, You've Mm -hmm. been working in the psychedelic community, coaching, doing integrative coaching for a while. So could you, um, help catch people up who who are new to it. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And I'll give everybody just a little bit of context for um like how how and why I have a perspective on this. Um probably let me think 2016 2017 um I started receiving re- referrals from uh these practitioners, people that were doing psychedelic assisted therapy for um different groups of people everybody ranging from military special forces, people that were coming home with um, antidepressant resistant PTSD and depression to um, like really well-known business people that were seeking um, these sort of transcendent spiritual experiences. So they would go to these sort of underground practitioners, have these psychedelic experiences. Most of them would have these really big mystical experiences but then they wouldn't really know what to do with these insights that they had. And, and so these uh, clinics and practitioners would refer those people to me to um, so I could support them in what we call integrative coaching. So essentially the ability to integrate those insights into your life, into meaningful change. So, so I've been doing that not exclusively, but it's part of what I do. So this come, what I'm about to talk about comes from, years of experience and hundred working with hundreds of people. So just so that everybody knows this isn't from a book. Um, yeah. And Kevin, I'm just going to test. I mean, he calls me and tells me the inside scoop, which we probably can't share, but it's lots and lots of really, really complex, interesting and dynamic experiences. I mean, this is a very profound, very world. dynamic. Yeah. And I would tell people, if you want a, a, a really quick overview, there's a docu series on Netflix called how to change your mind. Mm-hmm. I was going to bring that up. That's awesome. It's really good. And it's based yeah. on this, the book by Michael Pollan of the same yeah. name that came out several years ago, all around the science of psychedelics and consciousness. And he gives you a 
a, a really good history of of this stuff because um psychedelics or people call them sacred plant medicines have been around forever uh, i mean there's evidence of them being used in civilizations all the, in every single civilization actually um back as far as we we can find and um back in the 40s i think it was um psychedelics were actually part of um modern psychiatry uh lsd was used in nearly every psychiatric clinic um, in the world to help treat depression help people uh, who are alcoholics to get off of you know to not be alcoholics or to quit smoking <clears throat> and and it was so widespread used widely because um there was such uh, clinical da uh, data around oh this stuff actually works and then um the 60s happened and the hippie generation happened uh timothy leary you know tune in tune out drop out um and then richard nixon got really concerned about uh wow these people are uh, we need to control this like because they needed here's my perspective the government needed people to want to go to war so that they could win the vietnam war but people were beginning to see that oh well war is not the only solution to everything this is a really simplified version War is not the answer to everything, and we're not going to go to war. So it's really hard to have a war without soldiers. And so, you know, one of the solutions was, well, let's let's create a war on drugs. And at this point, there'd already been lots and lots of uh, medical and clinical uh, research being done on how can you actually use these compounds um, in a healthy, uh, a healthy, productive way. And all of that shut off, shut down in the 70s. And so it wasn't until the 90s when a guy named Rick Strassman and actually another guy, Rick Doblin, who runs MAPS, um, got, got approval from the U.S. government to start doing research again with some of these substances. Rick Strassman was working with DMT. Rick Doblin was working with MDMA, which most people know as ecstasy. Um, and... <clears throat> Recently, or, in the past couple of Molly. years, Molly, yeah, and recently the in the past, folks. what's that for the younger folks? For the younger folks, for the kids, for the, for kids. the kids, Molly. Um, but a, a couple of years ago, um, the FDA approved trials around, especially MDMA, and around psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, the um, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms there was undeniable clinical data around um, people that were having like soldiers were coming home on 15 or 16 different medications th their depression wasn't getting any better suicide rates were going up well once people had um, these uh, psychedelic assisted therapy sessions so uh, we're talking about just a couple sessions assisted by a therapist they would they would be able to deal with the the trauma in a way that was really productive and it was a it was a the the results were durable so 6 months later 9 months later they no longer even qualified to be defined as depressed um and so so i've witnessed this firsthand um i've worked with a lot of soldiers i've worked with guys that are uh former seal team 6 members Delta Force. I mean, these are the people that are 
um, doing all of the shadow, like shadow work in the world, uh, coming home, being really depressed, not able to function, and then having, you know, being in these therapeutic sessions and having experiences where they're no longer depressed, they're no longer suicidal. Not only that, but they're actually beginning to have these experiences where um, they're beginning to to ask the question, well, what am I? Who am I actually? Because a lot of these people are having like big mystical experiences, which is actually where the word psychedelic comes from. It was coined by a psychiatrist named Humphrey Osmond, who was trying to come up with a word to describe what his patients were experiencing. Because it's two Greek, two Greek words, psyche, which is the Greek word for the mind or the soul, and delos, which means to make manifest or reveal. Because some people, like their deep subconscious was coming up to be healed. And some people were having these deep mystical experiences. And so I've seen both where people have these psychedelic experiences and they essentially what they're seeing is their true nature. Mm -hmm. And they're going, wow, I'm not my past. I'm not what happened to me. So if I'm not what happened to me, that means I can be free of it. I can heal from it. But then... I'm also not just a body or mind. Like I had this other experience. What is that? So there's some really cool stuff happening. As you right. can tell, I get excited about it. I love it. No, and and that Netflix, you did a great job of summarizing the details. But if you want that deeper dive, it's so fascinating. You know, the history of this, everything that went into it. And then in your experience, you know, watching it play out. And I think the thing that, I, I mean, of course, you know, it's, it's rampant in our social circles and mm -hmm. people are doing it in, you know, all sorts of arenas. Um, what would you say is the benefit of it? Right. Because mm -hmm. we have a bias or a stigma towards drugs, right. And sure. the idea of harming ourselves or, you know, kids just doing it for fun and going to raves or whatever, whatever. So mm -hmm. this is meant to be helpful, as you said, for PTSD or depression or all these different issues, or even just having an understanding of the true nature of self. But like, how, how do I say this? A lot of people still have that, that relationship to it as a drug that is bad and wrong. And then secondly, so how do you, how do you think about that? And then secondly, yeah. um, is it really mostly for treating medical sort of psychological issues or is it really more of a opportunity to have a mystical opportunity? Mm -hmm. Um, and then I want to ask you about based on your answer from that and then what, right? Like, cause you do the integration coaching. Yeah. 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 Those are Really great questions. So, so the answer to the first question is we all have cultural conditioning around morality. Uh, because if you would ask most people, is it <clears throat> the same people that would, would say psychedelics are wrong are the same people that are having two or three drinks a night, right? So alcohol b by a magnitude scale greater. Uh, kills more people than than psychedelics do. Um, it's just more culturally acceptable. Yeah. Same thing with uh, smoking. Smoking's shifted right over the years, um, 
And so now more people say smoking is bad for you than good. Yeah. Which is why these clinical trials are so important because people need actual information. Like this has to be a real, these have to be real outcomes. Um, so that said, um, yeah, there are people who, who, who aren't using these in really helpful settings. They're using them recreationally, right? They're buying, they're buying drugs off the street and which actually probably it's not a great idea because of things like fentanyl. So what I'm talking about is like the, the professional safe use within, within a safe setting that has the intention for healing, whether that be from something like depression or, or, uh, you know, healing from your own sense of mistaken sense of self. Yeah. Because, you know, from my perspective, the, um, the mysticism of one era becomes the commonplace scientific knowledge of the next era. Yeah. So if you think about like people used to look at electricity and think, well, this is, you know, this is from Thor's hammer, right? We now know how electricity works. We know how electromagnetism works. We know how weather patterns work, how atmospheric pressure works, all of those kinds of things. Nobody knows actually how these compounds work in the brain. There is this through line, this common through line, though, between a lot of these experiences, no matter what the compound is, whether it fits something like MDMA or mushrooms, or people talk about ayahuasca down in the jungle. And it's this. Um, it's just like what Humphrey Osmond said that it's psychedelic. It, it, it reveals the nature of somebody's identity. Yeah. Which so, actually, actually is from my perspective, that actually is the definition of awakening. It is the recognition of your true self. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to go here because go for it. You and I have talked about it and I want to I want to hear you chat about it, but you know, one of the things we both experienced though, is that, okay, great. So they go, they have this experience of true self mm -hmm. and in that experience, they decide they're going to be billionaires. They're going to be the right. next greatest everything. And it's really just more of an egoic, it's like ego on steroids, right? So totally. how can somebody go in, think they're seeing the true nature of themselves when in fact, it's like this very strange sort of blown up egoic response. I've had this with a few people mm -hmm. and it's it's led them to even more depression in, in certain ways sure. because, you know, they rose up so high and then down they went. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is all, that? And, and yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen the, the exact same thing. <clears throat> and so, so I should say that, so I'm not a proponent or an opponent of this. This is not for everybody, right? Just like going and sitting in a sweat lodge is not for everybody or going and doing yoga is for everybody. Yoga is probably a bad example. Everybody should do yoga. <laughs> uh, that's a good thing. Everybody should um, do yoga. I'm such a yoga pusher. Do yoga. I love yoga. Oh. Um, yeah. I mean, there's this, you know, this concept of set and setting, which is mindset, like your mindset going into an experience and then the setting which makes a big difference too, right? Whether you're having an experience at a, at a rave in an abandoned warehouse on, you know, 
some drug that you bought from Timmy, you know, out in the parking lot versus a really safe place, more like what they're doing at Johns Hopkins, right? Uh, with end of life people and mushrooms and, um, but what is it? So the, the mindset that people bring to it in a lot of ways sets up, it's kind of the prologue to the experience. And I've seen this in, you know, people who maybe hear about psychedelics on something like the Tim Ferriss podcast or some podcast, right. Where they begin to think, oh, well, this is a really great way to optimize my life, to kind of life hack myself to more productivity. And so they go into it with the intention already of, um, like I've got a specific, I have a specific outcome in mind and it's to make me more awesome. Yeah. And, um, I've seen people come out of that. I had one guy uh, that I coached who said, you know, after this experience, I've decided I'm going to become the most enlightened person on the planet. That's like, that's now my new goal. And I was like, you got to really be careful what you ask for, because if that's what you want, you know, just, just wait for the lessons to come, you know? Right. And then enlightenment's a bumpy road. Good luck with that. Right. Yeah. Um, And so everybody's experience is different. I find that the people that have the most productive experiences are the ones who come to it with this, this humility around, like, I really want to heal what it is that's blocking me. Um, Or they come at it from the perspective of, I really want to know who I am. Yeah. And I don't have any preconceived notion of what it should look like. Most of those people have already done a lot of work over the course of their lives. And this is just one other way for them to explore it, you know, and, and usually those who approach it with the most humility, get the, I say, get the most out of it, but that even that's the wrong way of saying it. It's they, um, it's kind of like soil that's really well prepared to receive something planted into it. And, um, and I've seen the opposite. Yeah. And you know, it's sort of coming to mind as you're speaking is this idea, right? That we're all in our journey. Yeah. And so even as I think about the person who perhaps uh, wants to be the most enlightened or wants to be a billionaire and confronting ego in a mystical moment and thinking it's mystical when it's just a larger egoic, that is Mm -hmm. their journey. And for them- it isn't a healing. It isn't a mystical experience. It isn't a a surrender and a release. And kind of something we talk about a lot on this podcast is the process into enlightenment, right? Like Adashanti talks about it all the time that there's no one way to do it. Some people, it happens in an instant, in a moment. Some people, it happens over hundreds of small things over 10 years. Other people, it's like a bumpy road for five years. Like there's he hates yeah. even talking about his own process because he's like, if I say it, then you're going to think there's a framework for enlightenment, right? Exactly. And so each of us are going at it in our own way. And I guess the person who comes with a more limited view of what they need is getting mm-hmm. exactly what they need, though, because then yeah. they go up and they fall harder. And um, well, you know, I think about um, I think about the psychedelic space, and I think about you know, I was a healthcare tech entrepreneur for a long time and the medical industry, right. For better, for worse, it does in fact 
take the guessing out of the hands of the person who isn't well, right? So you don't go to the doctor and tell them um, you are put through a battery of tests and the doctor mm-hmm. then, you know, you often, right? You think you have a terrible problem and they're like, you're actually fine. You know, you're just having a panic attack. And other times you're like, I think I'm fine. It's like, oh my God, you have like stage four cancer or something, right? Like our understanding of what's happening within us isn't always um, aligned to what the medical tests show. And what I really am excited about with this new set of opportunities is that it takes some of it out of the person who is sitting there um, fighting with their brain, uh, trying to get, you know, people want breakthroughs. They go to therapy, they read mm-hmm. books, they're they're looking, they're seeking, but it's very hard to get through this barrier of self. And so mm-hmm. done in the right way with the right um, environment, uh, you can really attain a certain level of understanding quicker, right? Yeah. And get to know yourself more. And then there's this question of integration, right? So one of the things you work about work on is integration because while it's really exciting, and I I say this about the Akashic records too, you know, people come in and they're like blown away, such profound insights. And then, you know, it's what you make of it though. You know, right. if you I've done it. You just kind of leave that information out there. It doesn't really integrate. So Mm -hmm. let's chat a little bit about integration, right? Like what does it mean to integrate information post psychedelics? And then, you know, why is that so important? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it's a a wonderful question. And whenever people come to me who have had these kinds of experiences and and need help integrating, um, I use the word integration and embodiment interchangeably because it's the same thing. It's, you know, you, it's great. You have these insights and you can even swap out a psychedelic experience for like going to a Tony Robbins conference. Right. So you have the insights like, Oh, wow. Like there's more, more is possible. Um, there are these things that I need, I want to evolve in myself. And then I go home. Great. I have this insight. But until I really reflect on and understand that and then begin to take new con- make new conscious choices, it's just an idea in my head. It's just potential that's in my head. And that's all that's all I mean when I'm talking to people about integration. you know so it's like with the akashic record. somebody sees they get information or guidance that um, you know they're stuck making you know, they're stuck in fear and this fear is causing them to make this choice, this choice, and this choice. And it's an invitation to see that, to understand it, and then to begin new ma- making new choices, right? The, in the process of making those choices, actually in the action of making the choices, you're actually being that person. You're integrating that information and you're wrapping it in your, you're wrapping your skin around it. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the big question as we wrap up. Okay. People are out there. They're like, where do I get these drugs? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just putting you on the spot. But a lot of people are looking for it and they're going to um, yeah. uh, strange resources, right? It's it's very mm-hmm. much this underground community of people. So I, I know you don't want everybody reaching out to you specifically for this process, or maybe you do, but um, how, how, what would you suggest to somebody who wants to try this, get involved with it, but is afraid of mm-hmm. 
reaching out to the wrong people, getting you know involved with fentanyl or whatever. It's it's actually quite serious. It's very serious. Yeah, matter of fact, and I there was a there were some stats that I saw from the DEA recently that said something like ninety percent of the MDMA that they had confiscated off the street was not MDMA at all. Um, that it was, you know, a bunch of other stuff cut together and almost all of it had fentanyl in it. So, um, so don't just go buy this stuff, right? That's, that's, that's a really bad idea. Um, so where does somebody start? So there are places outside of the country, outside of the United States, um, where, uh, psychedelics are legal and they're, they're, um, retreat centers set up, um, you know, for various kinds of various kinds of things. Um, Jamaica, I saw Australia just m- made uh, MDMA and psilocybin legal. So they have an entire industry around that. Now I live in Oregon where, uh, last year resolution 109 was passed, which actually created a therapeutic psilocybin industry. Um, and so people are are beginning therapy centers are beginning to open where mushrooms are being used by clinically trained professionals. So there are opportunities that are becoming more and more available. Um, MDMA itself will probably be prescribed um, starting in 2024 because the FDA trials are, are finishing up. They just turned in Rick Doblin and maps just turned in, I believe all of their phase, their last phase trial results. So given another year, this is, this is literally going to be everywhere in the United States, more than likely. Unbelievable. Um, so if somebody has patience, I say, wait, there you go. Um, that's the and best advice I have. If they have found a way and they're looking for integrative coaching, this is still something that you actively do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's not all I do, but yeah, if somebody, if, if somebody needs that kind of help, um, they could just reach out to me, just visit my website, kevinkaiser.co. And, um, if, if I'm not available to help, um, I know some of the best people in the world who do this, that, um, serve that way. Well, fantastic. You heard it from Kevin, all the beautiful stuff coming to help heal, to open us up, to resurrect this incredible amount of this wealth of information, truly that got buried for all the wrong reasons. Check out that Netflix. It blew my mind. Um, Thank you, Kevin, so much for sharing. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. And I really hope that you consider checking out the Little Soul School, littlesoul.school, where there's a community of people dedicated to soul growth, soul learning, and the Akashic energy a space that holds all of our soul's histories, everything we've ever done in all of our lifetimes. Because they're looking for a deeper connection to themselves, a place to experiment and play with spirituality in a non-judgmental, vulnerable, open community of people. No woo-woo, no fluff, just fun and connection. Come check it out, littlesoul.school.